are you guys doing this morning? It's great to see you guys. Man, I wish you'd cool down a little bit outside. It doesn't feel like fall weather this morning. I think it's going to be 80 degrees today, but hey, I'm glad you're here. I believe that God's got something special that he wants to speak into your life. If you're joining us online, welcome. Thank you for being a part of Faith Co. Church, no matter where you are. If you're listening, you are a part of Faith Co. Church. Uh, we have a little bit more fun inside the house, but man, if you can't make it and you're joining us online, God bless you. I want to go over a few things before uh, we get started. I don't know if you've seen some of our calendars and or whatever, but real quickly, I, I actually, um, in the fall and in the spring, we like to put everything on a calendar to let you guys know what's going on so you can write this down and save the day. If you guys go ahead and put that calendar up there. Uh, first of all, next week is uh, we're having a fall festival here at Faith Coat Church. So, yeah, we got one person here that's really excited. But, but uh, uh, we are doing a... Uh, uh, we're doing some things for the kids, and uh, we're having a, a trunk or treat thing, and, and uh, I don't know about you, but uh, we're going to decorate our trunk, and uh, then we're going to uh, gonna be having some costume stuff going on, so if, that, if that's your thing, and also if you want to bring, bring some kids, we're going to have a great time. Uh, but the idea is that we, get, uh, we bring people of the community to the church and just introduce them to our church and also have fun as a church. How many know that it's okay to have fun if you go to church? So I'm bringing fun back. So anyway, we're, we're uh, excited about that. So that happens this next Saturday. What time does that start? 3 to 6. It starts at 3 and goes until 6. So uh, anyway, uh, Trunk or Treat this coming Saturday, October the 30th. And then November kicks off a very busy time for us because Love Gives Month. Everybody say Love Gives. We launch that every, time, every year about this time. And one of the big things that we do is we have a Bikes for Kids event. Now, I don't know if you know what we do as far as Bikes for Kids, but Faith Co. Church is known for Bikes for Kids. I was just, uh, uh, I met somebody this past week, uh, and, and she said, I said, I'm, I'm trying, they were like, what church? And I said, Faith Co. Church, and they were like, yeah, you guys are the church that give away bikes. And I'm like, absolutely. So the, here's what I want you to do about that. Uh, what I want you, first thing is I want you to save the day. It's December the 18th, uh, and that'll be a Saturday, and we kick that off at like 9 a.m., so make sure that you save the day. Even if you don't have time to serve or you're not a part of what, what this is, you need to see this take place. It is a very interesting thing to give away somewhere between three and 500 bikes, depending on how many come in. We have sent letters, I think somewhere between 10 and 12,000 letters to churches all over, to schools all over the county. And then we've got businesses that are helping us. If you're a business and you want to be a part of Bikes for Kids, we have business packs back at Faithco Info. If you're here and you know a kid that, that they won't get anything for Christmas or they would love to have a bike, uh, you can pick up a letter uh, or a, a, a bike request form back at Faithful Info and you can fill that out for them. To this day, I think that this, will be our, this will be our 14th or 15th year, something like that. Uh, we have never had to say no to one kid on a bike. Every kid that has ever filled out a form or every parent or teacher that, that filled out a form, we have given a bike. So that is always, yeah, go ahead. That's awesome. I think, I think that's a God thing. Last year, uh, 2020, that was, it was the toughest year we had, but we still did that. And, uh, you know, it, it all depends on us. There, there is a deal where uh, the community helps us, but about 85, 90% of the funding comes through what we do. So take part in that. Save the day. And uh, then if you want to do something else, serve. 
If you serve, we're going to give you a Bikes for Kids t-shirt. You show up, you, we direct traffic. We're going to be giving away not only bikes, but shoes, uh, coats. We're going to be giving away some food. We're going to be giving away Bibles. Uh, we're giving away, there's some, one more thing. Oh, blankets. Blank, we're giving away blankets because we teamed up with somebody that's giving away blankets. And we're giving away helmets with every bike. So we need a lot of hands on deck. We need a lot of people doing this. And uh, we bring, if you can imagine, about four or 500 cars going through here, directing traffic, making sure that people aren't out on the highway. And then we, you know, people come in and out of this, our environments. We need all the help that we can get. Why are we doing this? Because love gives. Amen? No, November the 7th is Barefoot Sunday. If you've not been a part of that, this is how we give away shoes. November the 7th, we kick off a, a time where we give our shoes away. So you're going to show up November the 7th, and you're going to take your shoes off and throw them in bands, and you're going to leave barefooted, okay? Unless you bring an extra pair of shoes, okay? But we'll be watching you. As you leave, if you arrive and leave, we're going to drag you down and take those shoes off. No, I'm just kidding. We won't do that. What a lot of people do is they bring a bag of shoes or whatever so they can leave with the shoes. But whatever, the idea, the fun part is, is we show up, we take our shoes off, we run around here barefooted. And uh, it's, it, it's just a reminder of what God is doing. So that's November the 7th. November the 14th, we have devote a coat. Everybody say devote a coat. So same thing. Maybe it'll be cooler. Maybe it won't. But uh, you, you show up, you take off your coat, you throw it in a band. Now, you can give coats and shoes uh, towards uh, uh, Faith Coat or towards Bikes for Kids all month long because we don't give them away until the 18th. And then, uh, 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 and then the 21st, we receive what's called a Love Gives offering. We take one offering like this a year, and basically whatever we bring in, we give away. Whatever comes in through Love Gives, we, gives toward, we give towards missions. We have bikes for kids in the community, but we also give away bikes for kids in Cambodia through a pastor that we know that's visited us. We also do some things in El Salvador. Uh, we do some other things as far as, well, oh, you may not know this, but we support 12 children in, in a Hope House orphanage in Malawi, Africa. So I'll talk to you about these things during Love Gives, but just be prepared on November the 21st, I believe that is, yeah, no, November the 21st, to bring your best offering to give towards Love Gives. Is that okay? This, this is, we don't do this a lot throughout the year. This is the time that we really focus on giving. And then, of course, December sometime between the 8th and 11th, I've already talked to a store that's, that's uh, trying to deliver us as many bikes as we can. Uh, there's, there's a little bit of a holdup. As you know, things are happening. But we're, we'll let you know when that happens. The 18th, we have the Bikes for Kids event. And then the 19th, we have our Christmas service. Can you believe we're talking about Christmas already? So write those things down. We have these things on Facebook. You see the things. So make sure you're a part of what God is doing in your church. Well, let's kick off today's message. We're talking about James, who is the brother of Jesus, who wrote this incredible letter to the New Testament church. And what's interesting is that it was written just a little under 2,000 years ago, but it's incredibly relevant to us today because even though times change, and a lot of different society might change. The word doesn't change, and principles don't change, and, print, and, and truth doesn't change. Amen? So that's why this is relevant. That's why this, this is significant to us today. Well, let's kick this off with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity that we have to be a part of worship. Thank you, Lord, that we get to gather in your house. Bless us, and may we receive of your word today by your spirit in Christ's name. And everybody said, look at your neighbor and say, listen to this. This is important.
in James, it actually talks about what faith is. James 2 and 17, it says, it actually gives us the main idea of the whole book or the whole letter of James. It says, so you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Faith by itself is enough. If, if I could wrap up the entire letter of James and put it in, in one verse, I would put it here. He says, listen, you have been taught that you've been saved by grace, and that's okay. And, and you've been saved because of your belief in Jesus, but I want you to know that your faith is incomplete. After 30 years of hearing this, it seems that the church had gotten lazy. So he says, listen, so you see, faith by itself is not enough unless it produces good deeds or works unless it is active. He says, it is dead and useless. So James says, real faith, faith that is worth its weight, it produces something. It goes to work. It doesn't just sit. We are not saved because of our good works. We're not saved because of the things that we do, but we are saved in order to fulfill the things that he has called us to do because Ephesians, the second chapter says, before we, ever, before we were ever formed, God prepared things for us to do before we were ever born. It's kind of like this. God says, okay, here's what I want you to do. Now you were born. So a lot of times we neglect the things that God has called us to do, but, but James brings that to our attention and says, hey, it's not just about belief. Getting saved is about belief, but God wants you to do something else. You aren't saved to sit. You're saved to walk in your calling. So James tells us and challenges us to prove our faith with our lifestyle and our service. But here's something I've noticed about James's letter. James's letter is very controversial. Have you noticed that? I was, I was watching Baylor, my son's message from last week. It's very controversial. We aren't controversial. I'm not necessarily controversial. He's not necessarily controversial. But the word, James's word, is very, very controversial. I wonder why James is so controversial. I don't know about you, but I've been going through James. This is, I think this is week six. I am tired of being confronted by James. I would like a little compliment you know, I would like a little bit of, of compliment and then a confrontation and then an attaboy. I would like to see that in here, but he really doesn't spend a lot of time doing that. It's, it's kind of like this. If you had one letter, if you had, if you had just five chapters, six chapters to write a letter to give to the church all over the world for the rest of time, you, you would get pretty, and you would make it very concise. You know what? We're going to leave out the fluff, and we're just going to address the things that need, need to be addressed. It's kind of like... If you just had 15 minutes to spend with your family and, and then you were going to pass away, you wouldn't say, well, let's talk about your dress right now. Let's talk about how nice you look today. No, you would address things that matter the most because time is coming to an end. So, so as I'm looking at James and I'm reading and I'm reading, I'm like, well, I don't, I'm not going to talk about that. Or, well, I'll talk about that. Then I'm, I go back to, hey, no, we need to cover this verse by verse, line by line. I was thinking how much I get tired of being confronted by James. But here's the idea. Confrontation leads to change. It does. Compliments don't lead to change. We all like them and there's nothing wrong with them, but really, as long as we are complacent, or as long as we are complimented, we are complacent. Confrontation is what leads to change. Listen to me. You will never change what you are unwilling to confront. In your life, if it's, if it's behavior, if it's a lifestyle, or if it's, if it's a habit, if it's an addiction, you will never change 
what you are unwilling to confront. So why do we avoid confrontation? Why do we throw these parts of our Bible? What I'm about to read to you is highly controversial. Why do we avoid that? Why do I want to avoid it? It's because we resist confrontation because we feel criticized. Nobody necessarily wants to be confronted because it feels like you're criticizing me. It feels like you're, you're judging me. But here's the deal. Criticizing people, that really tears people down. But confrontation is meant to challenge us. The idea of confrontation, the idea of what James is doing through his confrontation of, of the church's lifestyle isn't to criticize us. It's to confront a behavior. It's to challenge a behavior and challenge us to change. Are you with me? That's what, that's what he's wanting to do. So it's confrontation that leads to a challenge of a behavior or a lifestyle that leads us to change. So what he does, James confronts the church in chapters 1 and 2. He says, hey, faith, if you've been reading it, he says, hey, faith isn't exactly what you think it is. In fact, it's incomplete unless it has works with it. Chapter 3, he confronts our speech. He confronts how we talk about each other, gossiping, tearing each other down. And he challenges us to control what we say through wisdom and gentleness. And in James 4, he confronts the conflict that happens within the church because of, of what we do and how we live. And he talks about how the fact we can sometimes talk smack about each other. And he challenges people to love each other. And then he confronts, last week we, we read that he confronts about boasting and arrogance and that we should be sensitive to God's will in our lives. And I'm just, I'm scratching the surface here, but James 5 is one of the most severe confrontations in all of the scripture, and especially in this letter. And you see, that's, that's the trouble with going chapter by chapter is you can't say, well, I don't want to cover that. <laughs> well, you know, that's a little bit confrontational. We'll, we'll kick that out and we'll talk about this one. But but what he does is he confronts the rich and the greedy who take advantage of the poor. And he really calls them out and he talks about a day that is coming. So let's go to James 5 and 1 because we might, we might want to check out. But I want you to pay attention to this because it, it, it really, really is relevant. He says this, James 1 and 5 and 1 says, look here. Look at your neighbor and say, look here. In other words, give me your attention, you rich people, weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. Your wealth is rotting away and your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. You know, this is one of the passages, as I began to read this, I'm like, well, this really doesn't relate to me because I'm not, you know, I wouldn't say that I'm rich. I, I'm, I, I live comfortably compared to 95% of the world, 97% of the world, most of us do. We live in the United States. If you, have, if you have indoor plumbing and running water, you live better than over 90% of the world. So really, if you pay attention to this, this could be a direction towards us in our American society. But this is one of those passages that really doesn't relate because of who he's directed to. We have not caused other people to suffer. That's why I almost skipped this because, well, he's talking to Jewish unbelievers. He's not talking necessarily to the church. He's talking to Jewish unbelievers who are suppressing the poor in order to make themselves rich. But if he was just talking to them, he wouldn't put this in this letter. So it's worth taking note. And I thought to myself, we don't want to overlook this because what it is to us is it is a warning about wrong attitudes and behaviors of money. That's where we can fall into this if we're not careful. Now, we're not going to hurt anybody or kill anybody over money, but we can have wrong attitudes and behaviors when it comes to money. And nobody needs to hear this more than the American church. Even though we, in our time, are making more money than we ever have in the past, we are spending more. Once upon a time, have you ever heard the, the term keeping up with the Joneses? Have you ever heard that, keeping up with the Joneses? 
we, a lot of times we want it, we look and we compare. Well, the Joneses is, you know, that, that phrase is from a, a few decades ago, and the Joneses, they lived on your block. So it was a constant reminder that, you know, old Fred, he keeps his yard better than yours, so I better get out there and mow it. He drives a nicer car than I will. You know, it was constant comparison when he drove up in his yard. We ain't trying to keep up with the Joneses anymore. We're trying to keep up with the world because we have access to everybody that has everything nicer than us in just a few clicks, right? And a, and a few uh, thumb scrolls. So the, there is a world out there that once upon a time it was just in your front yard. Now it is bombarding us through social media and through television. Credit, I was looking at this this past week. Credit card debt in the United States is over $800 billion. Total combined credit card debt within the United States. Our global economy is hit really, really hard by the supply chain. Have, have you been reading about this? There's a supply chain issue that, that there, are, there are docks and ports all over the United States, all over the world with supplies and materials just sitting there. And, it's, and it's, it's, it may sit there for months and months and not be unloaded because there's a, there's a breakdown in the supply chain. I talked to a guy this past week that, that sells ATVs and dirt bikes, and, and I was talking to him. I was picking up some gear, and he was like, I went in there, and his store was empty. And he said, yeah. He said, I, you know, you guys know what a side-by-side -side is or ATV or whatever. He said, yeah, I've, I've got five units sold if I can just get them here. Anything that you want, it, it turns out everything that's fun, we're all out of right now. Anything that you want like that, it's, it, he said, once upon a time, we called you and let you know, hey, we got one down here. You come down and you, you, you test drive it. And if you like it, we make you a good deal. It's not that way anymore. You got to pre-order this stuff. Or if it's here, you better get it or it's going to be gone. And we ain't coming off the price anymore. You know, it's just, it's just crazy how things are acting this way. And then here's the deal. There's this thing where there's this shortage of supply chain or a breakdown in the supply chain. And then on top of all that, I was reading this past week, where we are buying more. We bought more. So, uh, our buying is increasing like between 10 and 15%. We're buying more. I don't know what that, what that is. Why are we buying more in the midst of all think of Think of all the traffic jam and supplies that's causing because not only is there an issue with supply, our demand has gone up. It's affecting us. Money can give us almost anything in this life. We've got to have. For some reason, we've got to have more in the midst of all this. Money can give us almost anything that we want in this world. Have you ever heard the term, money can't buy happiness? Well, my answer to that is you just don't know how to spend it. Of course, there are things in this world that money can't buy. But I can tell you this, I have lived in poverty and I've lived in blessing. And here's the deal. You might not be happy, but what money can do is it can make you comfortable in your unhappiness. And I've lived without, and I've lived with, and let me tell you something, with is better. And some of you know what I'm talking about. Money can, money can give you things in this life. Listen to this, Ecclesiastes 10, it says money answers everything. Money answers everything. Can I get a new house? I don't know, but money answers that question. Can I afford my education? Uh, uh, finances is a big issue with getting an education these days. I think it's well over $100,000 to get a four-year degree now. What is the answer to that question? Usually, it's a matter of, of money. But here's the deal. There is a trap that comes along with us pursuing money. When we long for the things of the world, it can sabotage 
God's plan. When we long for the things of the world, that it leads us into a trap of becoming a slave to the things that we want. 1 John 2 and 16 says, For the world offers only a craving of physical pleasure, a craving for everything that we see. Think about that for a second. The world doesn't just really offer what we want. It offers a craving. Because the more that we have, the more that we want. Does anybody have a garage that's filled with things? Does anybody have a garage and also a storage uh, an area like does anybody does anybody have some things in their garage in their area in their attic in their house their clothes their shoes that they could they could you know you could say well I probably could get rid of a few of those things how many of you have don't raise your hand but how many of you have more than 50 pairs of shoes <laughs> how many how many of us have have fall clothing winter clothing summer clothing spring clothing right the world doesn't offer the world doesn't offer a solution to the things that we want according to the scripture passage the world offers a craving so so if we don't find a place of contentment we always have the craving cravings with our money can lead us down the wrong path into a place where we do high-end purchases that that start out to give us what we want and then leads to actually a curse. I can think of one purchase. I've always uh, been very conservative, been pretty much conservative with, with my finances. But there was a purchase when I was in my early 20s. I don't know how this came about, but I decided with my family, we decided that we would buy this really big above-ground pool. And I, now, if, if you know what you're doing with an above, this is like in the 90s, I believe. We bought this huge... 30, 30, and I think 30,000 gallon deep in the middle, you know, seven feet deep, just an overkill, and put it in the backyard. Has anybody ever owned a pool and you really didn't know how to take care of it? Or you did, but it became a, yeah, that, that pool, after about, about 30 days, became a curse to me. I, every time I got in the pool, first of all, it was a constant war, and you probably know how to do this better than I do. But it was a constant war to not, for that thing to not turn, you know, split pea, green soup, green. You know what I'm saying? It constantly turned green. So there was this war always going on that I had to, you know, turn it back blue. And it, in a couple of days, green, I would turn it back blue. And every time I got in that pool, I would come home after work at, at 7 o'clock, and I would have to get in that pool, and I would constantly, you know, back then, you had to vacuum it yourself. So I had to vacuum the pool, all the stuff out of the pool. The leaves would fall in the pool. Every single day, an hour in the pool, you know. It was supposed to be enjoyable. And then I didn't get to enjoy, all I did is work at it, and then I would, I, would, I, would, I would come home and, you know, our neighbors would be in the pool. Hey, what's going on, Travis? Hey, this pool's turning a little bit green. You need to take care of this. <laughs> then, it, then it added $150 a month to my electric bill. And it, I, would, I literally would sit in at, at night in bed hating my pool. I hated the pool. I would visualize and dream, literally I would visualize about taking my axe to the pool and just spilling the water. Ever, I hated the pool and finally, finally got rid of it, you know. But at the beginning of that, I thought, man, that would be a cool thing. It would bring me so much pleasure and happiness and, and whatever. But, but it wasn't that it was a bad thing. It was that it became a burden. Wealth, like any other of God's blessings, can be a curse if it is misused. What do we do? We practice godly stewardship. It is a blessing 
to have money. And I think that that's what James is saying. It is a blessing to have money. That's God-given wealth. But it is a trap for money to have us because we can become a slave to making more money because of our debt or the responsibility that comes with the things that we purchase. Our money should be our servant. We shouldn't be a servant to our money. We shouldn't be working to pay for our stuff. Are you with me? We never want to get into a trap where we're working to pay for the stuff that we wanted because of what the world. It, it, Apostle Paul, he was so concerned with people seeking to get rich and chasing after worldly pleasures that it led him to write this letter or this stanza of this letter to Timothy. And this is 1 Timothy 6 and 9. And what he was saying to Timothy is he was saying, listen, godliness with contentment is extremely valuable. Godliness with contentment, one translation says, is great gain. That's what you want to strive for. It's not about trying to get more. It's about striving for godliness and, and getting this balance of contentment. He says, because those who desire to be rich, they fall into temptations. They fall into get-rich-quick things that, that, that lead them into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and to destruction. For the love of money, a lot of people get this twisted. I, I read this on the internet the other day that somebody posted uh, uh, that money is the root of all evil. That's not true. It is the love of money. It is put making money a priority over people. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. There is nothing wrong with being rich. In fact, the Bible says that it is a blessing. Proverbs 10 and 22 says, The blessings of the Lord makes one rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. The blessings of the Lord actually makes us wealthy. So to be wealthy is a blessing of God. We should never have to apologize for being wealthy. The patriarchs in the Old Testament were extremely, extremely wealthy. Being wealthy, being rich is a blessing of God. The problem is how we get, the, how we get there. Rich means, rich means, rich with Jesus means having an enriched life. Why? Because we get there through godly principles. We practice generosity along the way. We practice healthy spending and investments along the way. The issue is the motive and the behavior that get us where we are when it comes to being rich. Do we get there by being diligent, by, by, by saving, by investing, by blessing others along the way? Or do we get there by cheating others? I've had a few friends that I've been in business with. They were actually friends. And I knew with, that if I was going to strike any kind of deal with him, that I better be, it is a buyer beware situation. Because anytime, I had two friends like this, anytime I did business with them, it was a deal where the only way that he would do business is he would win and I would lose. There was none of this deal where we both benefited. It was always that, the, that the, and, and the entire way, uh, the entire way, man, he told me he loved me. Man, you're such a blessing. But I knew, and the reason I knew this is because he burned me twice. I had two friends like this. I know with friends like that, who needs enemies? But, but I had two friends that burned me twice by, by, okay, all right, you know, I'll sell it to you for this. 
because you know you're struggling or whatever, and then turns around and makes a killing on it or, or, or makes this story up. I've had people s- try to sell me things, make up stories. I had, I had a, a guy that, you know, he needed some help, so he came up with this story about a, a hot water heater, and I, I paid him in advance. Then I never saw him again. How do you, how, what happens when somebody strikes a deal with you? How, how, how we become rich is a major thing. How we prosper in our lives matters to God. Are you with me? Can I ask you a question? What does it look like for a business transaction with you? What does it look like? If you're good in business, this is something that, something that we all, if you're good, if you, have the, if you have the advantage or the upper hand or you have inside knowledge, let me ask you something. Let me ask you, what is it like? To do business with you if you have the advantage. Oh, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to rake him over the coals. Or are you fair even when you have the opportunity? What does it look like? People have lost their faith pursuing worldly riches because of greed. And that's who James is talking about. So James warns the greedy through this letter to the church. In James 5 and 3, he says this. He says, your gold and your silver are corroded. The wealth The very wealth that you were counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. This corroded treasure you have hoarded will testify against you on the day of judgment. Wow, that's harsh. Wow. I mean, he's... here's what he's talking about. He's talking about people who are counting on wealth. Counting on wealth will help you in this life. If you're not thinking about the next life... If you don't believe in the life to come after this, get all you can from everybody. Cheat, lie, steal if that's what you think. Because listen, your time on this planet is limited and there is a next life. That's what James is saying. He's saying, you, and we're going to read a little bit more, but he's saying if you're going to do this, but you, you need to understand this. Look at this. Hoarded treasure or gained by greed is a testament against us on the day of judgments. Think about that for a second. All the riches that people that are greedy or have taken advantage of people, all the riches that they have accumulated and not given away is actually working against them on the judgment. Think about this. It's kind of like, have you, is, there, is everybody here, have you played Monopoly? Have you guys, is everybody, does anybody here not understand the name of, or the game of Monopoly? I can't bring myself to play Monopoly because it's like a six-hour commitment. But I used to play when I was a kid, and I learned really quickly to not let my younger sister be the banker. <laughs> the, the object of Monopoly is to gain as much wealth as you can and actually not cheat, but get more wealth than the person that you're playing against. And at the end of the game, you count up all of your wealth and count up all of your cash, and the person who has the most wins. Am I saying that right? That's basically monopoly, right? The person who has the most. Well, it just so happens that the kingdom is like the opposite of monopoly. The kingdom is different. That, that Jesus, who was being approached by a rich young man, said this. After, after he was rejected by the rich young ruler. You know that story. But he said this. It is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom because they depend on their wealth in this life. But he, said, he also says this, Jesus said this, the first will be last and the last will be first in the kingdom. And he's actually referencing wealth. In other words, he's saying, whatever you don't have in this life, what, if you're rich in the kingdom, if you're rich in blessing, if you're rich in, in, in godliness, that makes you first in the kingdom. But what this, what this said in James, the fifth chapter, 
everything that you have gained becomes a stack against you on your day of judgment. Am I being clear? All the things that we have gained in this life and held on to, it's kind of like this. The, the one who has the most and is not generous loses at the end of this life or in the kingdom. Everybody who has the least, who has been generous, everyone who has, has, has given away or whatever, they are the ones that, are, that win in, in kingdom. And that's hard for us to understand, and it's hard for us to live by. But here's the kingdom principle. The more you have at the end of this life, the less we will have in the next. The less we end up with because of what we have given away more, or because of what we have given away, the more we will have in the next life. So imagine a Monopoly game where the first half of the game you gained as much wealth as you could and then the next half of the game you landed on spaces where you would give things away. Okay, right now this is when you give to Bikes for Kids. Right now this is when you give to Mission. And the point of the game was to give away more wealth. That's what it is like as far as the kingdom. That's why Jesus said to lay up treasure in heaven. Not just in this world, but lay up treasure in heaven. That is why a church should be missional and generous. That is why that we talk about missions. That's why we have a Love Gives in November. That's why we help the kids in Africa. That's why we do our bikes for kids. It's not because we don't have anything better to do on weekends. It's really because what we are doing is giving people opportunity to store up treasure in heaven and be generous. If you believe that, say amen. So James 5 and 4, he says this. This is the last part of his, what he says. He said, listen here. The cries of the field workers whom you have cheated of their pay, the cries of those who harvest your fields, they have reached the ears of the Lord. He says, you have spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your, your every desire. You have fattened yourself for the day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed innocent people who do not resist you. So here's the deal. He's writing, check this out. He's talking about Jewish unbelievers that are filled with greed that are actually committing murder over money. But why would he write to us about this? Why would he write to the church? I believe for a couple of reasons. First of all, to bring hope to the poor and the suffering. I want you to know that God hears the cries of the poor and the cheated. We see this over and over in Scripture. And you don't just necessarily have to be destitute, but if you have ever been cheated on a deal, if you've ever been taken advantage of, if you've ever been robbed, of maybe somebody has, has stolen from you. Have you ever been cheated out of position? Don't seek revenge, seek God. Are you with me? Seek God. That's the first thing. The second thing is not just, not just to give hope to the poor, but also to be a warning to the church of the dangers of greed. Do you know that there is such a thing as greedy Christians? You believe that? You don't have to say amen. People may get away with hurting people in today's, but there is another life. I want to close with this. Wealth is a powerful tool. It is a blessing for those that want to be generous. But it can be evil in the hand of a greedy person. So he, here's the kingdom principle that I want you to take from this. Wealth is God's blessing to me to channel God's blessing through me. Let me say that again. Wealth is God's blessing to me in order to channel God's blessing through me. That's why I have decided to live my life different. That's why, that, that's, that's why I have decided that 
you know, along the way, I'm in my 50s now, but along the way, I've upgraded my house. I have upgraded my vehicle. I've gotten some things that I've wanted along the way, but I've always tried to live below my means. Well, I have. I've always lived below my means, and I've always lived different. I don't have everything that I want, and I don't have, I, I don't, ha, I don't go buy every single thing that I want. And I, if if you were to see what we give to missions and what we give to the church, it, it would it would shock you how much we give based on our income. But that is something that I have personally decided to do. That's that. I'm going to I'm going to remember that my wealth is not just about me and myself, but it is about serving God, and I want to be a person that God can count on. I want to be the person that that when it comes time to give to bikes for kids, and and uh, my wife and I were already talking about and and planning our our love gives offering. That when it comes time to give to our missions in El Salvador, I want to be counted on. And I'm not going, it's not like, it's not like I, I can't do something like that. I'm not going to just take my money and spend it on me. I'm going to make sure that I want to give above and beyond. That, that's why I'm going to honor God with the tithe. That's why, that's why I'm going to live my life. I'm going to put God first through the tithe. I'm not going to be a kingdom consumer, but I'm going to be a kingdom builder that God can count on to be a blessing to others. And that's what I want to do the next decade of my life, I want to be in a place where I can be a greater blessing to the church. When I, one of these days, I've got to hand this off to the next generation. And I want to be a kingdom builder. I want to be somebody that can be counted on financially. So remember that. As you, as you read the book of James, remember that he's challenging us to take a new step. To go to a different level where God can use us in a different way. We can't get and fall into the trap of finances where it can become a trap to us and sabotage God's will for our lives. Think about that as we pray today. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for bringing us here. And thank you, Lord, for speaking to us today. And I pray, Lord, first of all, I thank you, Lord, for speaking to us and challenging us. And, Lord, this message is as much to me as it is to anyone. It's easy to get wrapped up in the things and the cravings of this world, but thank you. For your brother James, it challenges us. Even though he's pointing to unbelievers, Lord, it is a reminder and a warning of the traps that come along when we prioritize money over the kingdom. So speak to us today in the name of Jesus. As heads are bowed and you're praying, maybe you're doing inventory in your life, maybe God's dealing with you about your priority. What is the priority of finances in your life? Can I ask you something? Do you honor God first with your finances? Do you honor God above yourself? This is not to point fingers. This is to challenge us. This is a challenge for me. This reminds me of what, I, what I'm supposed to be doing, of the capacity that I have to be generous, and sometimes me thinking about myself. I want you to think about that just for a second. How is God dealing with you right now in the area of finances. What does that look like? What is God challenging you to do? As we are approaching November in a season of giving, how, how can God use you? How can God use you for being a blessing to the poor, to be a blessing to orphans in Malawi, to be a blessing to kids in the community that need lives? How can, 
How can you be more of a blessing? What does that look like? Is it in the area of finances? Is it in the area of just serving? What does it look like? Let God speak to you today. So Heavenly Father, I pray for all of us today. Lord, that we listen to your spirit. We respond to your spirit. We receive what, what you want to say to us. In the name of Jesus, Lord, I, I pray that the confrontation that we might have felt leads to a challenge of a lifestyle or a behavior. Deal with people today. Speak to us, Lord, as only you can. If you believe that, say amen. If you'll continue to bow your heads, I want to pray one more prayer. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, he's not Lord and Savior of your life. Whatever that might be, I know this has been a message about finances, but it doesn't matter if God is leading you to give your life to Christ. It can be through anything, any message. If you're watching us online and maybe God's dealing with you right now, if that's you, you can say, Travis, I don't live for God. He's not Lord and Savior of my life, but God is dealing with me right now. If that's you, uh, let me say this. I won't ask you to stand or walk down here. I won't single you out. I just want to pray, and I would like for you to say this prayer with me. If you're here and you can say, Travis, that's me. I'd like to give my life to Christ. Real quickly, put your hand up and put it down. Can anybody say that? Real quickly. All right. If you're watching us online, if you feel like God's dealing with you to give your life to him, just say this prayer with us as we pray it. I'd like for the entire congregation to pray with me right now. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm before you today, and I give you my life. And Jesus, I ask you to be Lord and Savior of my life. I give my life to you today. Forgive me for all of my sins. From this moment on, my life is committed to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, guys, let's celebrate those by faith that have given their life to Christ. All right, guys, if you'll do me a favor and stand to your feet, stretch your legs a little bit. What an awesome message by Pastor Travis. I'm definitely challenged to... to keep a heavenly perspective instead of getting caught up in an earthly perspective. So I just have a few announcements for you guys. So Pastor Travis talked a little bit about our Bikes for Kids program and what that is. If you know a child that is in need of a bike or a family who would like to fill out a form for a bike, we have those available at Faith Co. Info. If you would also like to donate a bike, we also have those slips and forms available for you as well. Next, guys, just a reminder that Growth Track is going to happen today directly following this service. Um, we have done some improvements. It's new. We've changed some things. And so whether you are completely new here to our church, we would love for you to be a part of it. If you've already taken it and done it maybe five years ago, six years ago, we'd love to have you again. Um, or if you just want to come in and sit in and see uh, for a refresher about the things going on at our church, about the values of our church, we would love to have you. Lastly, guys, on the second and fourth Wednesdays of every single month at 6 p.m., we have an amazing, excuse me, 5 p.m., we have an amazing um, prayer group that meets every single week to pray for our church. We believe prayer is the foundation of our church, and we would love for you to be a part of that. And so they are actually going to be located in the back of the auditorium if you need any prayer for anything um, as well. And so just a reminder for that. And then this Wednesday, a reminder that we have Faith Coast students every single Wednesday at 6.23 p.m. 
I know that was a lot of announcements, but that's all I have for you guys. And so I'm going to pray a quick blessing over you. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great Sunday, guys.